Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is not a farmer. Uh, my guest is Bobby, who is a Harvard Law graduate turned entrepreneur who built a thriving multiple six-figure business selling the most boring thing ever, legal templates, primarily through email. In the process, his emails have built a cult following because they're actually fun to read. People have compared his sales sequences to murder mysteries that you just can't put down, and people actually email him concerning that they've missed something awesome on the rare weeks that he doesn't email his list. Bobby has distilled his email wisdom into a snark-filled book titled Email Marketing That Doesn't Suck. Have fun writing emails your subscribers really want to read and will actually make you more money. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have have this discussion. Um, I think we're gonna have a fun conversation. You know, Michael, you and I have like, like I recognize your name because we've interacted a lot online. Mm-hmm. But this is like the first time we're actually talking, so it's kind of yeah. fun to actually, you know, put a name to a face and and have an actual. It's not in person, but as close as we get to in person discussions these days. Exactly. Yeah, and you are in D.C. area, yep. and I'm in Southwest Ohio. So um, again, D.C. is one of my favorite cities to visit for a few days. You know, just walk the monuments, and when our kids are a bit older, can't wait to bring them down and show them anything that's going on. But uh, yeah, um, so okay. You started off legal, you moved into the legal templates. Did you just got get tired of being a lawyer or you saw an opportunity and you're like, you know what, people need this and I can help? So, I, I mean, I got tired. I don't want to say I got tired of being a lawyer. I got tired of practicing law. Mm-hmm. I love the law. I, I love mm-hmm. it as an intellectual thing. I'm the kind of guy I can have really deep, in-depth discussions about legal stuff and about legal issues with people I agree with, people I disagree with, and and just have some fun. Mm -hmm. The problem is I picked a a particular area of law that I was practicing that essentially meant I spent all day fighting with people. Mm. And that's just not my personality. Now, I like having some some fun fights and and things like Mm -hmm. that, but not real ones. And I just would find myself having to to literally argue with people because in cases I was involved in, like the copies they made of documents weren't legible because like the paper slipped as it was being copied. And one time I literally had to fly down to South Florida because there was multiple of these and the other side was just refusing to go copy them again. So I had to go down oh to the judge gosh. in South Florida for the judge to look at the other side and say, what are you talking about? Make a good copy for the guy. <laughs> I mean, these are the things I spent my day doing. Yeah. And Separately, I had no control of my life. Uh, my life was always subject to lawyers on the other side filing something out of the blue that I didn't know was coming that would then set a clock for me to have to do stuff or a judge. Like I would have judges randomly say, and my practice was never in Washington, D.C. It was everywhere. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they would randomly say, I want a hearing in two days and you have to be here. <laughs> oh, so wow. it's like, great. I got to, you know, I got to do that. So, yeah. That was what was happening. And, and I, the problem was I was uh, invested. I had spent 15 years practicing law as mm-hmm. uh, a lawyer. I was good at it. 
I, I won more than I lost. It was normally me. At, at, at this point, it was just me at a small firm and a, an associate, but we would go up against some of the biggest firms in the country and tended, we tended to win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I didn't really like it. And I was working mm-hmm. with a life coach and she asked me this question at some point after talking about relationships, friends, all that stuff. She said, do you like what you do for a living? And I kind of stammered. Yeah. And uh, for the first time, I admitted to anyone besides my wife that the answer was no. And so mm-hmm. she said, okay, what are we going to do about that? And I didn't really have an answer, but mm-hmm. she did. She suggested that she could see me giving tips and advice and, and things like that to small businesses on podcasts or radio shows. And that's where the idea was born. And mm. so I, I started down that path. It was early 2017 ish, I think is about when I started doing that. And um, at the time I had no real business plan, no business model, didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, it evolved over time. First I was like, Oh, I'll create an online course. And that didn't really work. And then I created something I called a membership, which was, somewhere between a course and templates, legal templates. And then eventually someone who I knew just said, I think people just want the templates. Mm. And so I just started selling legal templates. And again, part of that was to to solve a need because I Mm -hmm. saw a lot of people, like my practice tended to be lawsuits, but sometimes I'd have people come to me for other things, but I would see people come to me when a dispute came about that could have been avoided if they would have just gotten an agreement in place at the outset. But they didn't because it seemed expensive. Mm. And lawyers are expensive. We, we just mm-hmm. are. I mean, we, we bill by the hour or that's how we traditionally bill. And, you know, it, it's going to take you multiple hours to do anything. So I saw this opportunity, but I, I also knew that a lot of what small business owners needs are, can be templated out. It's mm-hmm. not complicated. You can do it yourself with a little bit of instruction. And so that's where, the, that's where it came about. And that's kind of how I made the transition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So you moved into the, into the templates and then you wrote a book. So obviously, you know, legal templates, yes, they're boring, but if you could figure out a fun way to sell them, which it sounds like you did and people get excited about that. So talk to us, you know, what, what, where'd you ever get the idea that, oh my gosh, I should write a book about email. <laughs> so that is a long journey because what happened was that basically I uh, it, my evolution happened over time. So 2018 was my breakthrough year mm-hmm. in the online space selling legal templates. And at that point, I was just selling legal templates, but I had kind of figured out that, let's be clear, people didn't want to, wouldn't want to hear me just talk about legal stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. There's only so much mm-hmm. I could say. So I had a podcast, which at the time when I launched it in, in late 2017 was, I would have people come on and talk about marketing Mm -hmm. in their area of expertise. And then I would add a little legal tip at the end. So that was kind of how it started. But then I started just doing some solo episodes from time to time and people really loved them. Mm -hmm. And I discovered people actually liked hearing from me. They liked hearing me talk about the journey and the struggles and those things. So I started doing more and more of that. And in 2019, I was in a mastermind group. And after I did a a kind of a launch of a repackaged vehicle I had for my legal templates, the biggest offer I had, I talked about it being successful and the leader of the mastermind said, okay, well, what are you, what are you going to sell those people next? What is the upsell? And the problem is with legal stuff, there really isn't right. Cause I didn't mm-hmm. want to practice law anymore. And so mm-hmm. there's no group coaching. There's nothing like that I could do. So I came up eventually with coming and becoming a business coach. So I've kind of become a business strategy coach. And that started in 2019, not about email, about a concept that I'm really passionate about, which is, focusing on building a raving fan base and really 
connecting with people as people, even if you're online. And so I was already doing that. So I was helping people with that. And then eventually I started talking about email because I was doing email in a way that was different, that people enjoyed and people were asking me about email. And so I was Mm. doing trainings in that membership I had about email and those always had the, the greatest feedback. And so that's what turned me into an email guy. Then in, in late 2020, I had a virtual event. It was a smashing success. And I, I finally convinced my team to let me write a book. It's kind of what it came down to because mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they kept saying, no, no, that, that, that's, that's, you know, that needs to go low on the process. And so I convinced them. And, and honestly, at the time, I didn't think it was going to be about email. I thought yeah. it was going to be about a, a kind of, I take a stand and, and a hill that I would die on is that we need to focus on serving our customers and serving our audience and, and everything about marketing should be about that. It shouldn't be about me. It should be about you. Mm. And that if you do that, that's how you ultimately build a business over the long term. And that, that came from growing up with a father who ran a, a chain of drugstores who beat a couple of things into me. And the, the most important rule is the customer is always right. And so I, I did that. And, and that's what I intended to write. But as I got into it, I was like, you know, I'm not ready to write that book yet but I, I would have some fun writing a book about email. And so mm-hmm. last year, 2021 was the process of writing the book and uh, working with, I've got a team of people who were helping me work through it um, and craft it and recraft it and take it apart, put it back together again. And, you know, that's how it came about. And it's the right book for me to have had as kind of my first business book, because it, it is my personality on the page. Mm-hmm. So then with the book, what would you say you discovered most about the process of writing the book, maybe about yourself or just about, you know, everyone thinks about it. Everyone tells me I should write a book and I probably should, but it's always that looming massive thing out there that you're like, it's a book. (laughs) Well, so in fairness, it's actually not my first book. I wrote a book as a lawyer uh, called Patent Litigation Primer, which no one should ever read. That one kind of started as like, I was going to create this like mini book guide for potential clients was the idea. And it just kept growing and growing. Um, And so I've done the process before, but that one was done in a very different way. This time I was working with a team and what made it doable for me candidly is the team I worked with that helped me map out the process. And they even did some of like interviewed me, got stuff out of my head, did first drafts, which I then took completely Mm. apart Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and completely restructured so that the book I mean, people who know me say the book, they would never have known that anyone else had any um, hand in it, but that process made it doable. And, and again, it's the, the, the tough part about writing a book, honestly, is you're going to get tired of reading it mm-hmm. and it's long. It's going to be a lot of stuff and you're going to have to read it over and over and over again in the editing process. And I'm not even talking about the line editing. I mean, the line editing at, editing at the end is the easy part. The hard part is the, the big, I guess they'd call it copy edits, but it's when you're re- really reading for big picture and restructuring and reorganizing and deciding, you know, I don't even need this chapter. Mm-hmm. And so that was a multiple months process, which a lot of people get very tired of. Um, but I was used to it. I had written... I'd had to write hundred page briefs before for, for law, uh, for cases as a lawyer. So mm-hmm. I knew that it, there was gonna be a lot involved and I was ready for it, but it was definitely a very involved process. I mean, the interesting thing for me, and, and I think you would experience this too, Michael, is, I mean, most of the people that you work with on books, I mean, they're used to talking to people who don't really know much about 
marketing or business mm-hmm. building, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> when they've talked to me about some of the marketing stuff, I'm, they're like, maybe you should send an email or two. I'm like, an uh, email no. or two? <laughs> like, you know, the title of the book, right? I'm like, I'm going to send an email or two on the first day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Know, but it's it's just stuff like that that's been been fun and funny. The, the process I wouldn't change, um, mm-hmm. and the team I had was great. Um, mm-hmm. they, they were a a breath of fresh air to work with. But I mean, you know, it's a commitment. I mean, one of the things you've got to understand is you've got to have an idea that you know you're going to stick with because. Mm-hmm. I did this not the long way. I mean, the longest way where you go out and find one of the big five publishers. I mean, if I got a book deal today, that book could be published in like two and a half years. <laughs> and so you, you have to make sure that you really are, you know, comfortable that what you're talking about, you're going to want to keep talking about for a long time. So mm-hmm. that's another big part of the process. So you've got to, got to write the book, but then you just got to start talking about it. Yeah. Um, now it's really interesting. And you kind of like, you're going to be known for that. And so that's yep. something that brought up something. I was, uh, again, someone I formerly worked with, he had this incredible process and I was like, dude, we need to sit down. We need to throw this in a course for you because this would help so many people. Yep. And he was like, no, I don't want to be known for that. Yep. And I was like, anyway, I, I thought it was a huge <laughs> mistake of his because he could have really done really well with that. And that would have helped so many people. Yep. But again, that was his choice. But I, I think like, the, like what you said, there's, you're going to be known for this. So now it's Bobby obviously was the template guy, but now he's the email guy. So yeah. And that's the thing you have to be comfortable yeah. with that. And, and again, like one of the things that a lot of people who are in business don't get is we have to be willing to be boring. And what I mean is not be boring. I mean, to be bored, I guess is the way to put it. Um, not to be boring. We shouldn't be boring, but we should be bored. We should say stuff so often that we're like, everybody must know this by now. Everybody must have heard us say this, but they haven't. I mean, yeah, we think people pay way more attention to us than they actually do. Mm. And I know that inherently with email, which one of the things I don't even, I don't even think it made it into the book, but one of the things I say quite frequently when it comes to email, especially when you're selling and it kind of an active sales Mm -hmm. period Mm -hmm. is stay calm and send another email. I don't care how many emails you've sent, stay calm and send another email. And Mm -hmm. So I know that inherently you have to do it, but still it's tough at some level to talk about the same things over and over again, at least if you're like me. I mean, I, I'm someone who, um, I, I, if I were a kid today, I have zero doubt that I would have been diagnosed with ADD. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s and you know 90s when you know, it wasn't as prominent that you would get diagnosed, but I'm sure I would. So mm-hmm. my brain is always having new ideas. So it's tough for me to, to talk about the same thing, but you have to be willing to, if you really want to write a book, because otherwise you're going to write a book and then move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's way too much work to do that. Yeah. You want to make sure you expand that out and, and deal with that. Yeah. I, I absolutely have ADHD too. And my team, that's why I, I built the team around me that we have is to slow mm-hmm. me down, to flesh it out, to actually make sure that we actually give what it should give the attention needs to every single detail. Yep. All right. Let's dive into emails because a couple of things you said I wanted to pull out. You said send another email. Mm-hmm. What is there too many emails? Can you send too many emails? I mean, like, what do you like to see from like a business to the consumer when they're not, let's say, in a launch period or trying to push a particular product? What's the proper amount of emails? So, I mean, there is a time. I mean, you could theoretically send too many emails. I, I can think of mm-hmm. times when I've signed up for an email list with some business and I've gotten like, five emails in the first day. Don't do that. I mean, mm-hmm. look, don't do that. That's too yeah. much. 
but there is actually a big misconception that people don't want emails. And there was a study, I'm trying to remember who it was where I pulled this stat from, but, but there was a study that I read somewhere where, where the, the, there's something like 60 or 70% of people want to get a, a promotional email at least weekly from mm -hmm. a business that they've signed up for. And so think about that. That means that 70% of people want to get a promotional email. That is like a directly salesy type of email yeah. weekly. Now, I mean, there are exceptions and I can think of some of these like, you know, big box stores that I've signed up for, like clothing stores where literally you sign up. And I mean, it's like every day you're getting one or two emails with a, with, um, with a coupon. And I don't want that. And, and mm -hmm. your customers probably don't want that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like but, the Kohl's or the JC Penney's, you know, yeah. literally it's every single day. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But, but again, for them, that makes sense, right? Because for those businesses, if you think about it, you're not getting on Kohl's or JC Penney's email list for anything other than to get coupons. That's it. It, yeah. it is a sales channel through mm -hmm. and through, but for, for most of us, smaller businesses, um, one of the things that email gives us a chance to do that's hard to do otherwise is it gives us a way to really connect with our mm -hmm. audience and connect with our people so that they feel connected to us as people. And this is true regardless of whether you have, like in my case, I have a personal brand. My brand is Bobby Clay. Mm -hmm. But even if I had a brand that was a brand name, when you're a smaller business, oftentimes people want to know the people behind the brand. Mm -hmm. And their connection to those people behind the brand and the story of the brand is a big part of why they're going to buy from you and why they're going to keep buying from you and become a loyal brand advocate, do all of those things. And so email has a real power to let you do that because you can let people in. You can let people see behind the scenes, get to know you, get to know the personality of you. And if you have a team, your team and all of those different parts so that they become invested and you almost become a character in their lives. I like to say that, and, and this was, by the way, an insight that, that came to me as I was writing the book, mm. because I knew the power of doing these things generally. Like I understood that there was power in telling stories in email. And I never really understood why. I thought maybe it was because they were more fun or easier to read. And I think that's part of it. But during the pandemic, during the, the period when we were really kind of locked down a lot, I found myself binging a lot of TV shows that were on streaming services where literally it was like the whole series was there. And so I was just you know going back and watching. And a strange thing happened. And, and it was that at the end of each series, when it was over, I would be sad. And I was like, what in the world is this sadness about? And, and I kind of in the old days when I was watching TV live, like I remember when Seinfeld went off the air and when mm -hmm. some of these shows that I really loved went off the air and I felt bad. And I think at the time I thought it was because I wasn't sure if there was going to be another show I liked as mm. much. Yeah, yeah. With streaming, that was never my concern. But what hit me was that all of a sudden there was this, this gap in my life because these characters that I had like kind of had become part of my life, there was no more. Mm. And yeah. I recognize that telling stories about yourself, about your brand, about your business in your emails, part of what you're doing is you're, you're establishing that same kind of positioning for your audience. So you just become a character in their life that they want to hear from. They want to see what's happening in your life. They want to know these things because they're kind of a little bit invested in you, kind of like mm. people get invested in characters and TV shows and movies and books, whatever it is, it's that same level of connection that we just feel one human to another. Mm -hmm. That story aspect is we're just programmed to 
want to want to listen and want to learn stories and yeah. uh, you know put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. And and stories are also one of the best ways for me to to actually teach lessons. Now, depending Mm -hmm. on your market, you you might not need to teach lessons, but in my case, I need to teach lessons. I need to get people to buy into concepts related Mm -hmm. to marketing that I believe in. And if you think about it, I could say, if I say uh, slow and steady wins the race, guess what? Immediately in your mind, you probably thought of, uh, you know, the tortoise and the hare that came Mm -hmm. into your mind. Yeah. If I said the three little pigs, you all of a sudden said, oh, you know, perseverance matters and preparing for the hard times or whatever, you know, you would describe that moral of actually building the hard times. And so we are programmed as humans for whatever reason to really learn and hear messages through story in ways that we can't if someone just was trying to teach us a lesson. And Mm -hmm. so that's why parables are powerful. And that's why telling stories, if you want to get a point point across, we'll we'll do it. People will remember the story and they'll remember a lesson from it, which they wouldn't if you just wrote something that wasn't a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing I know that you do really well, and obviously we can chat about this, is headlines. Now, I'm going to read some of the headlines that you've sent me in the past. <laughs> um, let's see. Let It Go isn't just a song from Frozen. Let's see. The uh, Decisions, Decisions, A Heated Exchange of My Thanksgiving Table. Of course, that's going to get opens. Yep. Um, you've got one here. Uh, what do Russian strippers, Australia, and content marketing have in common? Of course, that one got an open. Yep. And uh, being an ambassador has its perks. Yeah. So these are the kinds of things, which, because I mean, obviously, you know, when we're talking marketing waterfalls, yep. obviously that open rate is a massive part of how many people are actually going to buy. Yep. So talk to us about the, the headline. Why is it important? And, and how can folks think about that differently? Yeah. And so what I would say is those things like over time, the hope should be that, that those things don't matter as much to, to your mm-hmm. avid fans. And your goal should be to, to get to the point that people are opening because they see your name. Like mm. that is, yeah. is the real goal place. But that being said, people who haven't like that takes time, right? That, that happens through building the relationship. And before that, it really is people are very busy. And so you do have to get their attention. And I mean, one of the things though, that, that people do is they try to use tricks and, and hacks and they really will try to trick their people into opening emails. And that's a bad idea because once mm-hmm. you lose that trust, you don't want to do it. But what you want to do is create a little bit of curiosity that people are like, I just have to know the answer to this, whatever this is. And, and all those you mentioned, it's funny, like you, you read all those off and I'm like, I don't even remember what, what most of those emails were about. Mm-hmm. But what you say is you hear that and you're like, well, I want to know the answer to this. I want to understand this thing. And, and one of the one of the ones that I can always think of as an example of, of, a, of a, a subject line I use is, how did that get me in trouble? And that was in all caps. Mm-hmm. And my audience kind of knows that I tend to, to be a bit of a troublemaker and get in trouble with my team and my wife and things like that. And so if you think about it, they're hearing this and they're seeing that and in their mind, they simply are like, I need to know what it was that he did that got him into trouble. And so it's opening a loop of curiosity for people to want to, to read the story. The way you do this is, is by just thinking about something like that. How, what is a curiosity hook that you could pull out of a story or out of a message in the email? And my emails almost always end with either a question mark or an ellipsis. 
And mm. either way, the point is either I'm posing a question that, that hopefully opens a curiosity loop or the ellipses is meant to give them an implication that there is something else and it's, it's a thought that it continues. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so that's my, my general approach to subject lines and, and how I get people's attention. But what I try to do is, what I'll tell you is, if you have a good message or a good story in the email, it can be very easy. Like the first email I sent, which was a good, fun email, the subject line was in quotes, why are you sending me pictures of you with random women? And that was literally a quote from the story of, I had sent this picture to my wife. I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't done anything bad. Yeah, yeah. I was in an event. So I sent her that, sent her this thing while she was asleep. And the next morning I woke up to a message that said that from her. Yeah. Because yeah, she was just yeah. like that. And so you think about that, people are like, hmm? and it just makes them want to know yeah. what's yeah. going on. And so it's, it's those kind of have a little bit of fun and there are different there are services you can go to that will like supposedly rate your, your subject lines or headlines. And yeah. what I found is once you get good at knowing your audience, you should be able to outperform those. I've run split tests and, and mm. oftentimes mine are, are ones that supposedly don't rate well. And I'll do all the stuff to make it rate well based on their artificial intelligence and split test. And mine does better because mm-hmm. we're talking mm-hmm. humans, not, not computers. And you can't really judge it yeah. based on how many emotional words are, <laughs> are in, in a line. Yeah. Um, but you know, I just well, say, it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. If it comes back to your, your client, your avatar, I mean, if your avatar is, they are very interested in something very specific, you can obviously speak to that and get opens all the time. Yeah. Um, like, you know, for us right now here in the farm, we're getting close to the strawberry season. So yeah. I've used the word strawberry, in any subject line, it gets opens because people are like obsessing right now about making sure that we don't run out. Yep. So, um, yeah. So that, again, it's just about knowing that audience. Now to that point, how do you figure out who your audience is slash how do you know what they want? Obviously the more subjects you send, the more emails you can see what's getting opens, but talk about a little bit about avatar research. So, I mean, I think it's the answer is you're always testing. And yeah. this isn't just about email. This is about just life in general. Now, hopefully if, if you're talking to people, especially if, if people are coming in and you're interacting with them, you, you can get a little bit of feedback that way, but people do, uh, people will do actual market research and that stuff can be useful. The problem is unless you have a big budget for it, it's really tough to do enough really uh, rigorous market research through surveys that I would feel confident in because Mm -hmm. you got to get a lot of data. You got to get a lot of people to make sure that it's not just false signs. And so it's tough, but, but what you need to do is learn to pick up on the cues. And, And some of this is if you're, if your audience happens to be, you know, coming together in a specific place online, go be among them. Don't talk, mm-hmm. just be there and listen. Mm-hmm. I say be a fly on the wall. And this was part of my growth is I, I just, I am, people comment that I'm everywhere or I seem to be everywhere. That's because I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups among entrepreneurs. A lot of times I'm just there, but sometimes someone will randomly mention me and I come in and pop in and make a comment and they're, they're always stunned that I'm there. But I'm there because I know that being among my people and the people I serve will help me to understand them. Mm-hmm. That's the general stuff. But then also it's you test things out and you see what resonates. And I, and I talked about this in the context of email. Part of the way that I became someone known for email was I had this membership. It was about building a raving fan base. And we we came up with this idea that there was a, we would do a, a, a content training, some kind of training once a month in the membership. And we decided to use that as a way to promote it. So people mm. 
we would basically promote that you should join right before that training. So you'd get access to it. And it was during the, the, whatever the trial period where people could then cancel after the training, if they didn't like it. And what we found was that when I did trainings about email versus any other topic, we would get mm. more people to sign up and we'd get more people to stay. And so I said, huh, okay. Yeah. It's telling me something here. Yeah. And so it's that thing. And, and there is that great quote by Henry Ford that you can't ask your audience what you want, because if he would have asked, they would have said a faster yeah. horse. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the same thing, like I would ask people, I did these market research things and, and I talked about topics and what they told me they wanted training on was training on efficiency and productivity mm -hmm. and all that. When I did those, nobody ever signed up. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, at some level it's, it's, it's an art and a science, mm -hmm. but when you're sending the emails, what you'll find is there will be certain topics, like you said, with, with strawberries, that that, yeah. that is right now, you know, that's a, a term that people are reacting to. And you'll find over time that you start to, to figure those things out. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I figured out that, the more that my team, people on my team are uh, the good guys and I'm the bad, I, I'm the, the troublemaker. People love that. My audience loves those types of emails. That's okay. not about a message or anything, but yeah. But so I do, I do, I lean into that. Yeah. 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 And you've got, so the other thing I think in your emails, your specific emails is you come across very personable. You share a lot about even sometimes faults or challenges you're facing. And that really puts that humanization on that. You talk about your kids, talk about your five-year-old daughter. Um, I've got a, actually a five-year-old. Well, my, my uh, little guy will be five in six days. So, um, so uh, yeah, I mean, just that, that, that sharing that community really makes that connection. Yeah. And what, what it is, is people want to feel like they can relate to you. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's, and it's funny, like I talk about my wife, but, but I should put that in quotes. I have never mentioned her name in an email. That's I true. About, actually. Yeah. I talk about my daughter. I have never mentioned her name in an email. I've never put pictures of either one of them in my emails. And that was a decision we made internally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we just made this decision that as a family, we didn't want, we wanted to draw some lines, some places. And so we mm -hmm. did that, but people still feel like they know me. And, and the funny thing, honestly, is, is I was talking to one of my friends in the space who was interviewing me recently for a podcast and she pointed out, she didn't know my wife or my daughter's name until she got in the book, the dedication that's mm -hmm, dedicated mm -hmm. to them. And she said, yeah. it hit me that I didn't even know those. I, I didn't realize I didn't know them, but I didn't know those names. And so yeah. it's one of those things you don't have to, to give away every last bit of your life. You can set boundaries. But what I try to do is I tell these stories from different aspects of my life, different times of my life, different phases of my life. And that way people will relate to different things. Mm -hmm. Some people relate to the random story I told about a random uh, event I had to participate in at a debate tournament back in high school. Mm -hmm. Other people relate to me about beer because I like beer and I talk about beer. Other people relate to the fact that I have a daughter. And, and back at the beginning of her kindergarten year, I sent an email that, that mentioned, um, that I had gotten an email from her school sa saying there was a case of lice in mm, the class mm -hmm. and yeah. about how I spent all this time going to the bottom of the internet to figure out how we were going to not get lice into my house. And it was hilarious how many people, like yeah. I didn't ask for a response. I didn't ask for any anything, but so many people responded to tell me because they wanted to help me, but yeah. they could relate. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm doing is, is there is some, 
I don't think of it as being overly tactical or strategic, but there is some strategy of intentionally telling stories from different parts of my life so that people can do it. But also I am careful that I try not to tell stories that aren't relatable. And an example, I mean, I went to Harvard Law School. I don't talk about that a lot because mm-hmm. even me, I sit there and I'm like, I was, I was a kid who had only ever gone to public school before that from Texas. And I go to Harvard Law School. It was a very different place. And I know that my audience won't really relate to most of what I could talk about, about mm-hmm. my experience there, about having these weird, deep discussions about like esoteric questions of law. So why would I talk about that? I mean, that doesn't help. Instead, I want to talk about things that they can relate to, the, the struggles that they're having, the, the things they want to fix. And they're, they're going to be like, oh, Bobby, Bobby gets me. That's kind of the goal of the email. And, and it's to make them think of you as a friend. Now, some of the stuff people miss, but it's because... I'm, uh, I am of my own vintage. I talk about pop culture from the nineties and early two thousands. Cause that was very formative years for me. So some people don't get those references. When I, when I drop a Seinfeld reference, some people don't understand it. I sent one email that literally it was laced with um, like s- song titles by green day. And a lot of people <laughs> missed them, but just, you know, <laughs> some of the people will get it. And those people then remember me from that email. Mm-hmm. Hey, Thriving Farmers, do you need a quick win on your farm? Have you struggled to find the right soil amendments that maximize your fruit or vegetable production? In December of 2020, I was introduced to AgriGrow and their prebiotic formulas. I was skeptical at first, but this past season, I boosted my strawberry yields by 18% with an AgriGrow product called Ultra. What does an 18% yield increase look like in dollars? My $6 in product investment returned me $868 worth of marketable strawberries on just three rows. This is the kind of ROI that we need as small-scale producers. Ultra is an OMRI-listed soil prebiotic technology that has been proven to increase yields and develop soils. To find out more or to order, go to smallfarm.solutions. AgriGrow is offering a 10% discount to all Thriving Farmer listeners. Simply use the coupon code THRIVE when you check out. Again, that is T-H-R-I-V-E for 10% off discount on your first order. Talk about the connection between selling stories and then moving to sell. And obviously you don't want to be selling constantly, but and again, with farmers, typically they're trying to talk about, you know, different crops they have and, and, um, and many of the farmers we work with have something like a subscription program where people are buying like a CSA program or something yep. like that. So share with a little bit about what's your thoughts on that. So I think that here's the, the key is the point of the, telling stories. And you, I do some stories in my sales emails. My sales emails have less stories. They tend to be more mm-hmm. analogy mm-hmm. based and less story based. But the reason why that works is what's happened is I have built a connection with my audience. So they feel like I'm a friend and a trusted advisor. And -hmm. because of that, when I then offer them a product, if that product is right for them, it seems like a friend just saying, Hey, you ought to go buy this because it's really good. It doesn't seem like I'm the one who's actively trying to make money. And I think that's the power of it. So the same thing is true for your listeners. If they build this connection where people are connected to them, the people behind the brand, behind the farm, if somebody needs you know, the products they have to sell, they're going to buy them. Mm-hmm. But also if you have like, you know, these subscription models, if there is a, a kind of a cause behind it, 
or, mm-hmm. you know, th- there is a, a values based idea behind it. That's very powerful. So some of the stuff that, that people like about me and what helps is that I have taken very clear stands on certain things in the marketing world that mm-hmm. set me mm-hmm. apart from people. And I do that with stories, but, but with the emails that aren't selling. And so because of that, people who, who align with those values are going to want to buy from me. Just like, you know, Tom's shoes with giving away a free pair for every pair that's bought and, and Bombas now does the same thing. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you could think about uh, Ben and Jerry's and it, it's always been about very particular things, but especially in the early days, they, they really made their money from the people who were very aligned with their, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. cult- I don't, uh, with him, it's not even culture. I don't know what even you would call it, but their stands on issues. Ethos, vibe, yeah, yeah. stands on issues, yeah. And yeah. so if you can do that with stories, all of a sudden the selling is simply, I mean, you don't just say, here's the thing, but you tell people, here's the thing, and here's why you might want it, and mm-hmm. they're going to be primed to buy. And, mm-hmm. and there's a great quote um, by, and, and I have it in the book because I wanted to be clear, this is not my thinking. This is um, uh, from Peter Drucker, who is this great management mm-hmm. business yeah. thinker from the 20th century. And, and he said something along the lines of, um, that the purpose of marketing is to make selling superfluous. That when you do mm. your job as a marketer and, and you really create the right, you know, kind of environment and everything, all you have to do is tell people you have a product available and they'll want to buy it. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful. And so that's why I tell people that we need to, to not just think about selling. We need to think about connecting, building relationships. And if we do that, then when it's time to sell, the, the selling just kind of happens naturally. And, and people will want to buy from you, again, assuming that they need your product. Like, you know, in your case, I mean, some people don't need strawberries. Maybe they have someone in their mm-hmm. house that is allergic to strawberries. Well, they're Absolutely. not going to buy it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But people who do, well, they're, they're not going to look to anybody yeah. besides you. Yeah. And I think the thing of telling the stories around it. So again, for us coming up to strawberry season, we're talking about how we found the first blossom. Then it talks about my grandmother's strawberry shortcake is another email. Then you talk about, you know, the first time we grew strawberries and failed miserably. And then you talk about how, you know, last year you guys sold out and there was, and people were, you know, raving. That's, those are the kinds of things that help build until when you, the strawberry doors are open, you sell out within minutes. Right. And that's the Um, thing you guys, you have that built in because of the seasonality of the different things uh-huh, that uh-huh. you can can do these series of stories in advance that really are priming people for when that product is available. And like you said, if you do it right, yeah. I, I mean, when it comes time to sell, you say, hey, strawberry season's here. Yeah. You want to buy them? And boom, like you said, I can sell out in, in no time. I can send a four-word email, yeah. you know, buy strawberries here. <laughs> exactly. And they'll do <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And, and that's the power of it. Yeah. And again, like, like I want to say like, in some sense, like the people, most of the people that I'm talking to that I'm helping, um, they're trying to sell something that their audience maybe doesn't really know that they want or need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You and your audience, they're selling stuff that people know they want, they need, right? It's it's food. It's it's all of these products, which we know we need. And so you don't have to do anything special. You don't need to tell people, well, why are strawberries good? Yeah. Uh, which, you know, you don't have to do that. You just need to, to build all of these things and build the connection and build the anticipation. And then, like you said, you send a four, you know, forward email, Yeah, you know, buy strawberry, not three, buy strawberries here. 
Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Do it, you know? Now, one of the things we do have to push typically though, is the price point because our strawberries are way more expensive than everyone else's. So yeah. obviously those stories and that, that kind of like how we farm the ethos of like the poor values is, is something that's goes into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the same thing with you too, I think, but I think that's too, is talking about, so mention that real quick. So that's something you said is where people are in the buying journey. So talk a little, like a little bit about that, how those stories can actually help people with that. Yeah. And so that, and that's the other thing you need to understand is your, your audience is not in one particular place. So uh-huh. your, your audience is kind of, sp- and, and I don't mean physically, I mean, mentally where they are, they are in all kinds of different mindsets, places. So let's see, again, we can use the strawberries. There are some people who bought your strawberries last year, who love them, who know they're worth it, who they're, they're like, they're ready. They're mm-hmm. red hot. All you got to do, like, they don't even need the emails. Really, yeah. the, the emails you send in advance are more about making sure that they know to be ready because it's about to be time. Mm-hmm. That's the value for them. Now, for other people, maybe they're like, you know, they like strawberries, but it's not, you know, they're not thinking about it. And again, I, I can use me as an example. There's places up here where we, we can go, um, you know, drive, drive about 45 minutes out and we can go pick it's apple picking, but then they also have berry picking. They have different stuff mm-hmm, that you can go pick mm-hmm, and yeah. we don't think about it enough, but it's one of those things. If we were on their email list and they were doing these things to prime us all of a sudden, yes. we would be ready. We would say, ah, the weekend of blank, we need to be ready. We need to plan to go pick mm-hmm. the strawberries. Then. And so that's part of what that's, those people are like they know they like the product, but maybe they're not really as attuned red hot buyers. So your, your yes. emails for them needs to be about helping them understand when is it and, and the process and all of those things. Now, you guys hopefully don't have to deal with people who, who've never heard of a strawberry, but, <laughs> yes. you know, but you might have some crops that people, you know, some, some of your listeners probably have some crops that people don't really think about. Yeah. Like kohlrabi. Do you even yeah. know what a kohlrabi is? <laughs> I've heard it. But, uh, <laughs> okay. Yes. I mean, much it's, further it's, down the road than most people. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it, it's, but it's even like rhubarb. I've only ever yeah. heard about like, you know, what is it? Strawberry rhubarb pie or like, yes. whatever. Mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, and I, I don't know what a rhubarb is, but there's things like that, that with that, you could do some education and help people yeah. understand. And that like you could for, again, how I think about stories with that is tell stories about amazing meals or amazing things that you did mm-hmm. with that. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, again, if you took some pictures of a meal or something like that, that's the kind of thing that could get people saying, huh, that could be interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, you have to understand where people are. Like strawberries are a pretty simple thing. Everybody knows what a strawberry is. Yeah. And it's really simple. But for those other ones, maybe you can do some education pieces, which is some of what I have to do with the legal stuff, because that's the big challenge I have is a lot of people I serve just don't even think about this stuff. Well, that's where I was going to go next is like selling legal templates is a heck of a lot harder than a strawberry. So obviously, you know, there are some people that are like, oh my gosh, yes, I need to be this compliant, this compliant, I need this contract. They're going for it. But then the people are like, why would I pay for that? Right. Exactly. And so, I mean, what I have to do in a lot of ways is, is, is just get even people to even think about this mm-hmm. in the first instance. And and understand why this matters. Because again, we've been like, we've been conditioned in certain ways. Like, you know, again, I'm going to make a movie reference because I do. And it's going to be from a 1990s movie of Jerry Maguire. There's that famous moment when, you know, shakes hand and, you know, I don't do contracts, but my word is is strong as Oak or something like that. And, you Uh know, we, uh a lot of us think that way, Uh but I can tell story after story after story about where, not getting an agreement in writing led to 
problems. And one of the stories I tell is a very personal one. The, the, the law firm that I was at before I formed my own law firm, I joined these two guys who had a firm and it was a firm that largely did uh, contingency fee work. So we did not have steady income or revenue in the business. I had all the downside risk. I would go six months without getting a paycheck, but we made wow. the mistake of not, when I joined them, really having a, an agreement. We had agreement in place, but not an agreement about how I would ultimately become a true partner and mm -hmm. have true mm -hmm. upside equity in the firm. And we, we went along just fine for, for a few, you know, for three, four years. And then my wife got pregnant. I said, Hey, I got all the downside risk, but I have no guaranteed upside. If we hit one of these big, huge cases that makes the firm $10 million, you guys could pay me a hundred thousand dollars and you guys could each walk away with 5 million. And then I'm out of a job and I got nothing. Right. And, mm -hmm, and again, mm -hmm, so I'm like, mm -hmm. we need to figure this out. And we couldn't, and oh. her, there were hurt feelings. One of those guys had flown to my wedding through Hurricane Sandy on a like 10 person small commuter plane from Florida to the Bahamas. I haven't talked to him since February of 2014 because of that mistake. Wow. So I can tell that story mm -hmm. and talk about it in a way that it's not just about money. It's about the emotional scars that, that you have. And I can tell those stories in an email in a way that mm -hmm. will make people say, huh, maybe I should be getting agreements in writing. And so there's ways that you can do these things to really teach lessons and bring things home if people don't know about it. And again, with, 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 with your folks, with your audience, it's more going to be about educating them about like Kohlrabi, what is mm -hmm. it? How do you use it? How could it, you know, what could it replace? How would you do it? And what's the value of it? Those kinds of things and yeah. really educate people and they'll, they'll be primed then to potentially buy it. And that's what I've had to do with legal templates. And, and again, that's also part of the reason why I figured I, I had to make emails and everything else a bit fun because the stuff I talk about is pretty darn dry. And mm -hmm. so it, my marketing had to be a little bit of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's talk to the person who, you know, they're a small farmer. They don't even have an email list. Uh, what's the easiest, fastest way for them to get started collecting emails? Yeah. So for, for, for I think for you guys, the, the quickest and easiest way would be, I mean, again, and there's a couple of things. Number one, you, you could have things like in where you give them something valuable, like a recipe book or something mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of you, it's probably like some kind of discount or some mm -hmm. kind of special first access. Uh, yeah. Again, like I, Mike, I'm just imagining with you. I mean, you could do this with, with things. Hey, we're, we're going to make our, our strawberries available to people on our email list before anybody else. Yeah. And that in and of itself can become the incentive for people. Yeah. So a lot of times when you're selling a product like a, a farmer would be doing those kinds of things, special incentives or exclusive deals is the way yeah. to do it. And that's the way that you'll, you'll really get people in, but then you, you can, you know, start to really build the thing with everything else, but that's how I would probably do it. Cause yeah, you know, people probably don't need strawberry recipes from you. They would just want to know the deals and, and want to know a little bit and that's kind of the reason why they're going to want to get on your list. So like right now we actually have an ad running that's basically pulling people to be on the exclusive wait list for yep. first access. Yep, exactly. Um, and again, yeah, because I think in terms of beer, there's a brewery up here in DC that did that. I mean, they built, I think they call it the Illuminati society or something. And they ultimately, <laughs> yeah, yep, they yep. ultimately turned it into like a paid, like a membership deal. Yeah. But really the reason why people are on it is because they get the first access to these like really small, weird, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. to me, most of the 
beer that this brewery makes is kind of weird, but the, the extra special stuff that the really fancy people want. And so people want to be on that list. So they're in the know, mm-hmm. just like yours, having that ex- exclusive first access is what people are going to want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the recipes, you're right, because they can go to when thousand different emails and get it. Now, what they can't get is your specific recipe. So, you know, you share my top, you know, my grandma's recipes for uh, uh, strawberry shortcake, that yeah. probably will get opens and that will get things, but you're right. I mean, there's, there's so many out there. Um, yeah. And then I think the sale too. I mean, people, when they're buying products, a lot of it's more about sales and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. And like, um, like, so one of the things I think about is, is, you know, the Coles and the JCPenney, I mean, you're on their list to get a discount. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why you're doing it. And so with, with, I think for, for the small farmer, that's probably why people will join it originally, but the goal is that's maybe why they join it. But your hope is that by doing the other emails during the year, what you'll do is actually build that connection. So mm-hmm. they then become the person who's talking about you, who's telling mm-hmm. everybody else about that raving you. fan. Yeah. yeah. And, and they become, they become your, I, I, I like to refer to it um, as your street team. Cause I think of from the days of, of I have mm-hmm. a lot of friends who are in bands and they would have street teams who would, their job was to be the marketing in advance when a band was on tour to really promote them uh-huh. to get people to come to the show. Yeah. Same thing. Like that's what you're trying to do is build those people who are going to tell everybody they know about you. And you do that with the connections, not with the discounts, but the discount is how you get them. The promise of a discount is how you get them to join your list in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things we have on our website right now is just a, a, a pop-up that pops up and said, take 10% off your first order with us. Boom. Yeah. Exactly. That, and, yeah. and, and if you think about it, that's when I really think about it, that's what I get that repeatedly. If you're on a, any kind of an e-commerce site, that's what yeah. happens. They'll say, sign up for our list and get a coupon. Yeah. And um, yeah. They'll, they just want to do it. Part of why they're doing it is so that they can recapture you if you don't buy then. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know, you can use it as the business owner in a very powerful way. So yeah. Talk about welcome sequences. Cause I think that's something a lot of people don't think about, but that's a, a great way to you know indoctrinate people with who you are and what you do. Yeah. And so what I like to tell people is that um, and again, I use this reference, if you will, for when, when I was, I went to the University of Texas at Austin, big, huge campus. Now I knew it because my parents had gone there. And so I'd visited it many times, but I just try to imagine if someone had just kind of dropped me there in the middle of nowhere back in when I went to college in 1996. So, you know, mm-hmm. before you had maps on your phone or anything like that yeah, and said, go to XYZ class, and you got 10 minutes to get there. Most people are like, huh? Cause I mean, you have yeah. no idea. And so instead, when I went, it really did have, um, we had a, um, we had an orientation, like an admitted students orientation. It was almost like a week. I think I don't remember how long it was at UT where it was just for new students to get us the lay of the land. Well, we should do the same things in our business. We should help people understand our business. And especially these welcome sequences is where you can lay out the ethos. What is it that you believe? What is it that you stand for that can build that kind of common um, you know, alignment with them? And that's one of those things that you do through your welcome sequence where you do that. But also one of the things that I would do is is help people. Your welcome sequence should talk about, you know, how you came to to be a farmer and to to be building this farm, what you stand for, but then also how can you serve them and how can you serve them is a couple of ways. If you have stuff that'll help them, that's free, tell them about that. 
but just as importantly, what are the products? And for you all, it should be, and when are they generally going to be available? What is the seasonality so people know mm-hmm. and can be ready? And, and you can just kind of see that so that people understand what they're going to be able to buy from you and when. Because that's an important thing. Because if people, again, we assume that people know what we have to offer. And, and a lot of times our, even people who've known us for a while don't. And so you just need to make sure they know those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're said about going back again and again and again and making and talking the same principles yep. um, because people just don't don't realize what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, so let's talk with, do you have a specific software that you like for emails or do you have a couple you can recommend? So, I mean, we use ConvertKit internally, but mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple, I mean, there's there's MailerLite, which is one of the lightweight uh, free ones. Mm-hmm. Then there's ConvertKit. And then people who get more advanced tend to use something like ActiveCampaign. Mm-hmm. We don't think most people need that, but you know, if you do, you can potentially use that as an option as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So three software things there. What would you say um, to someone who's never written an email before? What would you like, what two tips of advice would you give them if they, they want to start, you know, a weekly email to the people that are want to hear from them? So I would say just start, first of all, like if you have mm-hmm. people on your list, just start emailing. Now, again, if, if people got on your email list a long time ago and you haven't said anything to them for a while, I would suggest that one thing you should do is, um, to, to, to point out in a sense that you haven't talked to them and maybe you should have. I mean, that, that's yeah. an important thing to do because some people kind of ignore that, but you should definitely do that. But um, what I would say is, is just get started doing these things and just getting in the practice of emailing people on a regular basis will do you a lot of good. And so figure out what, what kind of message do you want to convey to people and start coming up with stories. And, and if you have something coming up like strawberries that is coming up, say, you know, four weeks, six weeks from now, just start telling stories related to that and, and seeding them and letting them know we're going to have this coming up in the future. And, and that'll be a very helpful thing. And that will start to build the anticipation. Mm-hmm. But the biggest problem people make is they're just not consistent about, consistent about email and, and just mm-hmm. being consistent so that people come to expect from you will be very powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep that connection going. Yep. Keep that yep. connection going. All right. Well, what would you, what one thing do we, you wish we had mentioned that we haven't so far? <laughs> you know, I, I think we've had a pretty good discussion. Um, mm-hmm. the, the thing that I think the only thing I can think of is just, not to overcomplicate this in your mind. Don't, don't mm-hmm. get too in your head about email because I think that's what a lot of people do is that they get, they, they get too fixated on, well, I've got to do it right. Or I've got, and, and they put too much pressure on themselves. And so then they come and they're, they're kind of looking at like a blinking cursor on an empty email and yeah. it's daunting. And, and if you don't put that kind of pressure on yourself, it'll be much easier. So just kind of let it be easy let it happen and just do it the right way. And then I think, you know, it will, it won't be a challenge. And so like the, the title of my book, email marketing, that doesn't suck. It, it kind of has a double meaning. It's one, it doesn't suck for your audience, but also it doesn't suck for you to write. the mm-hmm. emails. Cause that's the thing I know a lot of people, a lot of business owners are just like, I don't want to do it. And I wanted to, to make it easy to just give people permission. Not that not that I'm the permission police, not that I'm the one who has the right yeah. to give you permission, but to give people permission 
to just not worry about it that much, just to, to, to start telling stories that relate to what you want to talk about and see where it goes. And if you'll do that, it will serve you over the long run. Mm-hmm. Well, that was awesome. And your book is available. Again, it's email marketing doesn't suck and it's available where all your books are sold. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, so and again, I say that it'll, it'll be available in, um, uh, on Am- it's available on Amazon for sure. Barnes and Noble, we're recording this in advance of the release and, and Barnes yeah. and Noble, we can't predict with hundred percent certainty that it'll be available uh, on launch day, but it should be. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, those will be the, the primary places and hopefully the same as I guess, Apple books, which mm-hmm. I didn't even know that Apple has books, but apparently they do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And you've got a, a lot of free resources over at your website, bobbyclink.com and that's K L I N C K. Um, so you got some great, uh, your Instagram is awesome. It's always making you think it's, it's fun stuff there. Uh, GDPR, you got a free, uh, privacy template on your website. So if folks are into that, they should go check that out. Um, but Hey, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. It was my pleasure. I think this was a, a great fun conversation as always. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.